man. So if you had to, uh, say you're doing a pub quiz, and somebody said to you, if you had to sum up Jesus' key message, what would it be? That's a good one. Something about love. You know, we got uh, love God neighbor, perhaps something around the poor being blessed, maybe sins being forgiven. Could be any of those, all good suggestions. Um, but really, the good news that Jesus came to preach and embody is summed up by a single verse in our reading this morning, by verse 17 in our gospel. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was it. That was his key message, if you like, in modern parlance. Every time Jesus got up to speak in the synagogue or out in the open air, that was the bottom line. That was his takeaway message that he wanted you to hear. Uh, and I want to focus on that because uh, it's really crucial into understanding everything else because all those other things that I kind of named, all, uh, you know, obviously teaching from Jesus, but they all sit under that umbrella. They are all an outworking of what it means to live, live in the kingdom of God, of what kingdom life looks like, about what we are called to live like. And we know that this was the key message of Jesus because it features front and center uh, in both Mark, Luke, and Matthew's Gospels. Uh, Mark and Matthew's are very similar. Uh, in fact, Mark's is on the, the first page, in the first chapter. And, uh, and uh, Matthew chapter 4, it's also chapter 4. It's a slightly different approach, but it's the same content. Uh, you heard some of Luke's content in the... Um, and it was a established literary feature of the day. If you're writing a book that, that contains somebody's teaching, then you put the most important bit at the front. And people understood that everything else was an unpacking of that central message. What does it mean then? Uh, well, it's in, I'm going to look at it in two parts. Uh, there is the announcement of the kingdom being near. Uh, and then the second part is our response, repentance. And it's this second bit, I actually find Mark's rendering of it slightly more helpful to us. Uh, so Mark has the words in a slightly different order. And he says this, uh, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Uh, and I think the and believe in the good news bit is really helpful in understanding uh, what the repent bit means. But we're going to start with the kingdom part of it first. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. Mark calls it the kingdom of God. Um, either way, they're both talking about the same thing. Uh, and the first thing to note about it is that the phrase is clearly a phrase that is familiar to Jesus' original hearers. Otherwise, why would he have used it? Uh, and this, this idea of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, features heavily in the Old Testament. It kind of starts from the, the prophets onwards, really. And it's primarily understood in the Old Testament as being God's promise to act decisively for his people in history. That God will act once and for all to deliver his people that Israel would experience a full restoration of its land, its autonomy, and freedom. Now, what Jesus does is to state that that, that act of God is starting now, uh, that, that God is bringing this act through Jesus. And when Jesus says the kingdom is near, he literally means that the kingdom is so close to them because it is starting with him. His life, his teaching, ultimately his death and resurrection – they are the lens by which we are to understand what God's kingdom looks like. Because Jesus came to model that future 
in our present. The vision and values of the kingdom are Jesus. What he does and what he says, uh, that is what we as his followers and ultimately the whole world are invited to join in as part of in kingdom living, by living like Jesus did. Uh, and verse 23, Matthew is clever because he packs a lot into these verses. Because verse 23 of our reading, right up front, we get a practical example of what kingdom life looks like. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. So if we are to follow his example, the end result is a kingdom here on earth where there is no place for sickness, where there's no place for violence, no place for poverty, every wrong and injustice is put right. It's a picture, isn't it, of heaven here on earth. We will pray that in the Lord's Prayer later. So this kingdom, Jesus has started it, so that means it's here. But we also know that if we take just the briefest of looks out of our own front doors, that our whole world does not look like that. Would that it did. And that's because the kingdom is also a long-term plan. The ultimate end of this kingdom plan is the restoration of the entirety of creation and of all things. Uh, but Jesus begins this new era in his life uh, and through his death, but it won't be complete until Jesus returns again at the end of this age uh, to bring about the kind of the culmination, the ultimate establishment of a new heaven and a new earth, a new earth that is hallmarked by his way of life. So we live in this weird phase, um, in this kind of in-between time, if you like. The kingdom has started, but it's not here completely. Uh, sometimes that gets referred to as the now and not yet of the kingdom. It's one of those little theological buzz phrases for it. But what it means is that we should expect to see God act in kingdom ways in the here and now, but we hold that intention because we realize that we only see now in part what will one day in the future be the norm. And our blueprint, our, our guide for getting on with things in the meantime, is Jesus' teaching. That's the, the plan, if you like, for the kingdom. Uh, so if you want to know how to be part of God's kingdom, then, uh, which is what we want to do, because we're Christians, that's our call, we do it by living our lives by Jesus' example. We're part of a movement that is ultimately going to completely transform and restore this world. So that's a bit on kingdom. The second half is the response. We're called to repent at hearing this news that the kingdom is near. And, and again, I kind of refer back to Mark's version of it because uh, it's helpful. We're, we're called to repent and believe uh, the good news. Now, repent, and repentance is uh, a bit of a funny word for many of us. We've got probably one association with it. And we normally think, well, that's about saying sorry, right? Well, the answer is yes and no, sort of. Uh, in that repent and repentance uh, has a much richer and, and broader and deeper meaning than, than saying sorry. That's part of it. Uh, because when we hear that word, and especially when we hear it in church, you know, we have a confession as part of our service every week. Uh, we think about it in terms of bringing our failings and our sins to God uh, because we need to ask for his forgiveness, uh, which he very uh, graciously uh, gives us. But it's only half of repentance. Uh, because as some of you will have heard before, repent uh, actually describes an action. And that action literally means to turn around, to do a complete turn uh, in the opposite direction. So, um, an example. Imagine you, you need to go somewhere, 
and you foolishly put it into your phone and you're following the map and halfway along you realize you're walking in the wrong direction that, that the way you're going is not going to get you to your destination so you stop and you turn around 180 degrees and you start walking uh, back in the right direction to your destination and, and the the old way the wrong way you've left behind you and, and that's what repentance is if you like it's turning away from what is wrong but it's not just that it's about turning to and towards what is right and leaving the wrong stuff in the past and it's always a both and action so what are we turning from and what are we turning to uh, well the turning to bit is easy i suppose is uh, what we're turning to is the kingdom uh, because the kingdom is god's best plan for life full stop uh, it's arrived and that means we can turn to it and embrace it and the flip side is that means us to, to and it meant for jesus's original hearers that we have to turn away from how we've been living and start following the new plan the kingdom plan instead now an important kind of side note here is that jesus isn't necessarily saying uh, that how we currently live is bad or wrong uh, but what he is saying is that his way is always better you know if we want life in all its fullness then we only get that by following jesus and living like he did and again matthew is so clever in his writing because he gives us an embodied example of repentance in peter and andrew in the very next bit of our reading uh, jesus is called to follow him they quite literally leave their old way of life behind um, and, and it's important to note you know being a fisherman back then was a respectable way of making your living jesus wasn't dissing the fishing industry uh, far from it but he calls them to leave behind the old and to embrace this radical new life with him and so matthew includes it there as a direct example of what repentance might look like about leaving something behind and going towards the new and the truth is we are all influenced by things right we're all shaped and formed in how we act and how we live by a variety of factors and if you don't consciously choose what those factors are you know as christians we want to consciously say that's going to be jesus as our major influence then if we don't choose then we're just going to absorb whatever our kind of the cultural zeitgeist is whatever our society currently has to offer to shape us we will do that unconsciously whether we like it or not and that kind of leads to a question doesn't it who do you want to be shaped by mark zuckerberg steve jobs jeff bezos newspaper editors your boss at work or do you want to be shaped by jesus christ because those are all the very real influences in our world facebook the news apple um, you know, Amazon, all of that shapes our culture at the moment, all of it. And we have to choose to consciously not allow it to shape us. J.B. Phillips uh, wrote this most beautiful translation of Romans 12, 1 and 2 uh, that really gets to the heart of the matter. He says it, uh, this is Paul's words translated by J.B. Phillips, and he says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould but let God remold your mind from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. Because following Jesus means that we allow him to remold us, not our society. 
It means us all making the choice to live more and more and more by Jesus' standards and allowing God into our hearts because it needs deep work of transformation to, to allow that to happen in us. Um, I've been reading a lot of books recently about uh, kind of how we try and be disciples in, in this current age and the particular challenges that we face. Uh, and my conclusion is, is that what our society offers us at the moment is, is basically a, a way of life that's unsustainable, that is unfulfilling uh, because it's too much information overload, it's too much hurry, it's a health epidemic, uh, both in mental and physical health, brewing from an overtax-saturated life. And if you're affected by any of that, then the only solution in all the things I've read is to turn back to the life that Jesus offers us. Because believe it or not, Jesus would not be sending emails at 11 o'clock at night. He really wouldn't. Jesus probably wouldn't be shopping on Amazon either, but hey, we all have our vices and our sins, right? <laughs> but the way we are living is not good for us. If you read some of the research that is starting to come out about how the technology in your pocket is what it's doing to your brain, it is scary. And the solution is to go, Jesus is the alternative. He gives us a better way to navigate. You know, Jesus didn't say, I want you to work every hour God sends, be permanently exhausted and never have time for your family and kids. Jesus says, come to me because my burden is light. My yoke that I want you to carry, my teaching, is not meant to be a burden to you. It's meant to give you life, life in all its fullness. And we do that by engaging in this repentance and belief process. Because when we do that, it implies action, transformative change in my life and in your life. And it's brought about by God so that we might live in the way we've actually been designed to live and not squeezed by the patterns that we see around us. So as we begin, uh, we're still just about at the start of 2020, I want to challenge us with a question to think about for this year, and it's this. To what extent do you live differently because you follow Jesus? Or another way of putting it is this. How different does your life look from your non-Christian friends? Now, hopefully, for, for all of us, we've got varying answers, but there's kind of a positive and a yes in there for a lot of us. But I feel challenged afresh this year by the Lord to re-examine how are we doing this? How are we growing and being transformed as disciples? I believe that's, uh, that's God is challenging me, and I believe he is challenging us as a church to ask that question. Does my faith make a difference in what I do tomorrow morning? See, last week... I was preaching at St. Gabriel's Church in Cricklewood. I was covering their, their last Sunday of their interregnum. Uh, and it's a church that holds a, a really special place in my faith journey because it's where I came back to faith as an adult. And, and I was just thinking as I preached, gosh, how much, how much I've changed since I first stepped through their doors 13 years ago. Um, and it was a massive season of growth for me while I was there. And, and I've been trying to reflect this week on, on why. Why did I grow so much when I was there, and I, and I realized it was actually quite simple. It was a community that placed a high value on living like Jesus, of being a prophetic word, if you like, to our culture, of saying we are to live differently than the world around us. 
You see, every week when I was there, um, you know, young, new back to faith, every week I'd come back from church and I'd be trying to put into action what I'd heard. I'd be asking God, saying, look, Lord, could you help me make the changes I need to in my life? I want to live these kingdom values instead because it was all new to me and I hadn't thought it through. And I saw God do amazing things as I opened up myself in this repentance and belief process. I saw my attitudes change, the way I lived change because I was actively engaging in this model of trying to say to God, look, remold me. And I still have a, like a considerable way to go, don't get me wrong. But what I've learned over these last 13 years is I'm not doing it by myself. Um, because I've tried, to, I can't change very much about myself, and the Lord knows I've tried. Um, I really have. I've just failed spectacularly because I don't think any of us can inherently change massively by ourselves. But do you know what? Jesus can change you. When we partner up with God, all oh my days, can he make those, those kind of remolding things in our hearts. And all we need to do is to make it easier for him to do that. And we do that by putting ourselves in the way of him as often as we can. We do it by praying every day, by getting stuck into our scriptures each day. We do it by thinking about the different spiritual disciplines we've been blessed uh, by the breadth of the tradition of the church with. All these different ways from, uh, you know, loud out there praise to stillness and silence and everything in between. They're all places you can put yourself that God can do that work more easily. And I'm increasingly convinced that our call this year as a church is to, to renew our own commitment to radical kingdom living, to, to focus on discipleship, on how we live out the stuff we read in the Bible. Because I want all of our lives, I want people to see this church family and go, there's something different. I want to be a part of that because I can see what God is doing in them, the difference that this Jesus person makes in their lives as they try and put into action what he teaches. And my job within it, uh, and with Helen and other leaders, is we want to equip you as best we can for kingdom living. Uh, there's going to be lots of different ways we're going to intentionally try and do that this year. Throughout Lent, we're going to have a real focus on prayer. I know for lots of us, prayer is not something that comes easily or naturally. So we're going to look uh, for five weeks at how to pray. We're going to dip into Pete Gregg's best-selling book of the same title and, and have some practical teaching on how do you grow a life of prayer? Later this year, I'm going to be uh, running along with Tim a discipleship program where we're going to take uh, a small group of people and intentionally get alongside them for seven months and say, how on earth do we do this Jesus stuff in all the busyness of 21st century London? How do we do that? What does it look like for us? And do that journey together. And there'll be lots of other things that will come up along the way, I can assure you. But think about it. Where are you? Where are you on that journey? Maybe you were a bit like me. Maybe uh, early in your life of faith, you went through some big changes as you radically got hold of God and said, please, Lord, come on in. But sometimes that slows down. You might even feel like you're a little bit stuck in where you are in your faith at the moment. And perhaps today is the day you need to just say to the Lord, I want you to kickstart my discipleship program over again. It might be that you sat here this morning and you think, actually, you know what, I'm not sure I've ever had a go at, at my life being different because of what I believed. And again, you might want to just say to God this morning, Lord, I, I, I don't know even where to begin, but I, I'm willing. I'm here. I, I'm ready to, 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 to repent and to believe. And it doesn't matter where you are. You might be anywhere uh, on that continuum. Uh, hopefully, some of you are going great guns 
uh, and, uh, and are really like growing and learning. But it doesn't matter where we are, because um, whether you're at the beginning or you've been doing it for your whole life, there's always more. Uh, it's the, you know, the more I learn about God, the more I realize I don't know, and how much more he has for me, how much more change and transformation he's got for my life. And, and I want to experience the fullness of life. I want life um, to be an enjoyable and good process because I followed Jesus' way of living. And I think that's the key to successfully surviving in our culture. But to do that, we'll have to turn around. We'll have to embrace the kingdom values, and that is the way we're going to do it. So let's pray. I'm going to use Romans 12 to shape our prayers this morning. This comes from uh, Eugene Peterson's message translation. And... Um, what we'll do is I'm going to read a bit of it and then we're going to pause and pray and then I'll read a bit more and we'll pray uh, a little bit more and then uh, during communion as ever our prayer ministry team will be over there so uh, you might want to you know go and ask for a bit of encouragement from God for it 